UX Podcast Episode 187. This is UX Podcast. I'm Pat Axbom. And I'm James Roy Lawson. Balancing business, technology, and people every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden, with listeners in 175 countries, from Russia to Saudi Arabia. It's a while since we did the balancing thing. Yes, exactly. Yes, that's true. Good to know we're still balanced. I didn't even notice that. Mm, I did. <laughs> so, at From Business to Buttons, um, we talked to Tony Ulrich, who consults, presents, and writes books on jobs to be done theory. He's also the founder of the consulting firm Strategin. Now, you may have heard the phrase jobs to be done before, uh, but not been able to pin down what it means. Um, in fact, there seems to be like several people out there with a slightly different take on the subject. So we sat down with Tony. He has employed jobs to be done theory on countless projects for more than 20 years. We discussed why jobs to be done is important, about understanding real needs, how companies already know that they are doing it wrong, and how we also get um, a quick walkthrough of the steps for defining a job to be done. I've been noticing um, jobs to be done coming up in conversations and, and coming up at conferences more and more recently, but I personally don't know much about it at all. So can you give me a little bit of a run through of what is jobs to be done? That's a great question, and uh, I'd say that jobs to be done is really a perspective. It's a different way to look at a market, and it allows you to see needs in a very different light. So when we think about um, jobs to be done, we don't define a market as a as a product or a technology. We define it a market as a group of people who are trying to get a job done. And when we think about customer needs, we don't think of these un, you know, these ambiguous statements. Uh, it's it's actually the metrics people use to measure success when getting a job done. And by t looking at the job they're trying to get done and figure out how they measure success, we can test different solutions that we can come up with against those metrics to see which will get the job done best. And by doing that, you can make innovation more predictable. So we can predict in advance that the product you're going to create will address, will we'll, we'll get the job done better. And we'll know along what dimensions. So it's it's a lens to predictable innovation. Right, okay. So, so so, it's a way of measurement rather than a way of analysis, or is it both? It's both. Uh, the analysis part helps you set up your measurement system, if you think of it like that. So when we talk to customers, we understand the job they're trying to get done. We analyze that. We break it down into steps. We ask them how do they measure success along each step of the way. And that set of metrics that create becomes the measurement system. So once the system's built, you can test concepts against metrics and you can say oh well idea number one is it gets the job done 10 percent better than idea number two but it has weaknesses along these four different metrics so can we make it better yet you know, what can we do to address those four negative metrics and now we come up with solution c that gets the job done 30 percent better mm. and we keep building it out until we come up with you know, a solution that we can deliver in, in the appropriate time frame that will win in the market right it seems like you're so you're breaking down tasks into jobs to be done. 
how tiny can you make the jobs? I mean, how, what's a good reasonable size for a job to be done? <laughs> well, it's, yeah. the, it's the customer's decision, really. Okay. Uh, the, we, go, we don't uh, go out and say, you know, why do you use this product? What we say is, when you're using this product, what job are you trying to get done? And uh, it's often the case that the, the job they're trying to get done is bigger than the product. Uh, we, we typically yeah. see that a, a product gets part of the job done and they don't really want to have to cobble together lots of different solutions to get the job done, which is the beauty of the approach. Right. But most companies don't know what the entire job is, so they haphazardly discover it over time right. and eventually come up with better solutions. But the thought here is, if we can know in advance what the entire job is, we have our company vision. You know, the vision is to go get that entire job done on a single platform. And you can accelerate the pace at which you get there if you know the destination. So that's that's the thinking behind it. So if as I, as a company, want to get started with this technique, where it, it, it sounds like I need to really research what are the jobs we're really looking at, because like, we haven't. A lot of companies don't seem to have thought about giving much thought to that uh, in the, to the beginning. Well, it's true. So yeah. uh, the way we start is we define uh, who are your customers, like who are you targeting for value creation. Um, you know, it could be parents, it could be tradesmen, it could mm. be doctors. There's a group of people and a job they're trying to get done. You know, maybe parents are trying to pass on a life lesson to children. Maybe uh, a physician's trying to repair rotator cuff. Uh, there's very specific things that they're trying to do. And uh, defining the job first is, is the critical step. And of course, if you're talking to an existing company, they're already in markets. They just haven't defined the markets through this lens. So the challenge for them is, rethinking their market and, and moving away from a product definition mm. to more of a, uh, a job definition. Mm. So it's a little bit challenging, but generally, you know, going to the customers and asking them, they know what job they're trying to get done. So I'll give you a, a pretty interesting example. You know, we worked with one uh, agriculture company that makes pesticides and herbicides, and they said, well, the reason they're using our, our herbicides is because they're trying to kill weeds. Mm. And they were pretty definitive about that. So mm. we go out to the growers and they say, we're not trying to kill weeds, we're trying to grow crops, right? We don't really want to kill the weeds, but what we're trying to do is prevent them from encroaching on our plants so that we don't diminish our yield. If there's other solutions, we're open. <laughs> so understanding the problem definition through the lens of the customer is absolutely critical. And oftentimes, if you have that uh, inside-out view, mm. you miss the big picture. Yeah, you, you get very focused on maybe what you've always been producing, always been doing, yeah. and then don't really look at the, the, the broader picture of you know what is it being used for, or what am I, wh yeah. what's the applied side of my, my, my product. Yeah, that's right. It's like you're, you're defining your market around the product. Yeah. It's a herbicide, it kills weeds. But what's the customer trying to accomplish? It's a very different lens. So in a sense, then it's also key to product development because then you can diversify because you realize then there are these other things that we could sell our customers based on the job that they're trying to get done. Absolutely, yeah. especially since, as I mentioned earlier, most products only get part of a job done. Yeah. So uh, once you know what the entire job is, you yeah. can add features to your product to get more of the yeah. job done. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, own the platform that gets yeah. the entire job done. Yeah. So that's, that's the ultimate goal. And then when you run out of, <laughs> run out of steps there, what you can go do is t to look for more, what we call related jobs, what other jobs are, trying to get, uh, are people trying to get done in that same circumstance. Mm. And if you can get multiple jobs done on a single platform, that makes the platform more valuable. It's like the iPhone, for example. You know, can get tens of thousands of jobs done, making it 
the most valuable platform that there is. That's right. <laughs> so, I mean, a tool that a lot of UXers make use of is, is journey mapping. So how would you how would you contrast journey mapping with with um, jobs to be done? The journey map there's what we call the consumption chain elements of the job. You know, people have to buy the product, they have to set it up, install it, um, interface with it, upgrade it. But they're not buying the product so they can install it and interface with it and upgrade it. They're buying the product to get some core job done, right? So the way I like thinking about it is the. Uh, in a lot of cases, the, the UI portion of this comes into play on these consumption jobs, which I think are, are also called the customer journey. Mm -hmm. you know, it's the customer journey through the use of the product. Right. They have to buy it and install it and set it up and learn how to use it and mm -hmm. so on. So th they're jobs as well, right? And yeah. you can break down those jobs to figure out how people measure success along each step of the way and look for opportunities there yeah. as well. So you can help them get the consumption jobs done better. But they're different than the core mm -hmm. functional job. And you know, while the journey part is critical, it's the product has to perform the, the ultimate function that you're looking for as well. Pe like I said, people aren't buying the product so they can install it and set it up and learn how to use it. Mm -hmm. They're buying it to get some core job done. So the core jobs, I think in the software world, the way they, it's often described is the core job is kind of the UX. You know, what does it have to perform? And then how do we, how do we make it happen? Uh, and the tool is often the UI. What made you get started in this? What was the problem you were seeing? Why are companies so bad at getting this right? Yeah, that was a question I had. Why are companies so bad <laughs> at getting this right? Uh, yeah, this, so my experience starts back uh, with IBM in the mid-80s. And I was working as a uh, product engineer on a product called the PC Junior. It was the first home computer from IBM. And we you know, put a lot of sweat and tears into it over a year and a half. And we we're very confident that it was going to succeed in the marketplace. And the day after the product was introduced, the uh, headlines in the Wall Street Journal read, the PC Junior is a flop. <laughs> Imagine waking up to that. Yeah. Uh, and we thought, well, that's crazy. Why would anyone say that? Uh, and the reason they said it is because uh, it was true. Uh, it was a flop. You know, it took us about a year to realize it. Uh, cost about a billion dollars. And I wondered, you know, how could a company like IBM, with all its resources, mm -hmm get this so wrong. Mm. Uh, but as you said, it's not just IBM that gets it wrong, it's a lot of companies get it wrong. Mm. And so we spent, I spent the last uh, six years of my career at IBM in a product planning role, uh, trying to figure out how to make innovation more predictable. So we had a small team of people, uh, statisticians and so on. We, we studied a whole variety of tool sets uh, from QFD and Six Sigma and conjoint analysis to voice of customer. It was all becoming popular at the time, but um, as we, discovered pretty early on, none of them were really the, the real solution. And um, it, it all came down to figuring out you know, how, to, how to define a customer need in the most effective way. And all those techniques conf conflate needs with solutions. And you know, if you're trying to come up with solutions that address unmet needs, you can't go out to customers to understand needs and have them give you solutions, because then you still don't understand the needs. So it took us a long time to figure out the the, the right thought process, and it tied down to uh, tied back to Levitt's thinking. You know, people don't want the quarter inch drill; they want the quarter inch hole. Uh, the way we interpret that is, you you have two options here. You can study the drill and go out to people and say, "How do we make a better drill?" Or you can go out and study the job or the underlying process of making the quarter inch hole, uh, which may include a drill, it may include a punch, it could include a whole variety of competing products. But understanding what you're trying to do 
in terms of getting the job done versus the product held the key. And the, the beauty behind all this is the job is stable over time, which allows you to define needs that are also stable over time. You know, one of the issues with the PC Junior, um, you know, we thought we had a set of inputs two years before we released the product, but they weren't true needs. And what we thought was correct actually migrated and changed over time. So the data that we're using to build our product is invalid by the time it actually hits the market. Mm -hmm. And that's hugely problematic. So yeah. the thought is, you know, how do we define a need in such a way that the input we're using to create the product is still going to be valid when it's time to release the product in the marketplace? And that focus on the underlying job and those metrics allows us to do exactly that. So it's really, you know, it's, it's a breakthrough way of thinking about innovation that brings you know, science and predictability to the process. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that, that is quite a quite a risk nowadays, especially with incumbents and how the world is changing so, so rapidly around you. If you have got a metric that you're, or indicator, a lead indicator that you normally would rely on to drive your innovation, and then that goes that vanishes during the time you're innovating, then that's a big problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you end up using the wrong data to yeah. to make your product decisions, and that's still what a lot of companies do today. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But how receptive are companies when you come in and tell them this? Because, I mean, it has to hurt to realize that you've been doing it wrong and then actually to change the whole organization's thinking. So we did a study years ago where we asked uh, companies, uh, you know, how important is it to you that you understand your customer needs? And of course, everyone said it's you know, very or extremely important. Uh, and then we asked them, how satisfied are you with your ability to capture customer needs? Well, oddly enough, about 75% of them said, we're really happy with our ability to capture customer needs, which was intriguing because clearly they were very deficient at coming up with statements that define needs. Mm -hmm. So this is the problem. Uh, the problem was they didn't know they had a problem. They thought that they were very efficient at capturing customer needs when in fact uh, they were very deficient. And you can see how this is easy to perpetuate because you know, you've got companies that have uh, advisors to them, they have their sales team talking to customers every day, they have input coming in their websites, they have so many sources of customer input, it's really inconceivable that they don't know their customers' needs. But I think companies now have come to realize, wow, we really don't have these needs in a format that's usable for innovation. Exactly. And that's the problem that we've solved. So is it possible for you to just walk us through a, like a job to be done what are the components of the job what do i need what type of data do i need to define a job to be done yeah the job to be done is defined in a very specific for, uh, specific format uh, it starts with a verb an action verb you know what are you trying to accomplish i'm trying to uh, cut something access something uh, determine something you it's always some action and then mm -hmm. that the next part of the statement is well what is it that you're trying to achieve we call that the object of the verb. And then there's typically a, a contextual clarifier in the end. So you c could say in the case of helping Bosch, for example, enter the North American circular stone market, they wanted to help tradesmen. And so we go to tradesmen tr and tradesmen said, well, you know, when it comes to circular saws and hand saws and mm. t table saws and so on, what we're trying to do is to cut the verb, a piece of wood, the object of the verb, in a straight line, the contextual clarifier. So it's always in that format. And this overcomes a lot of uh, complexity that you could place on defining the job. Uh, what we see from 
uh, new practitioners who are trying to sell, they make it more complex than it really needs to be. And they, they'll add outcomes in there. Like we need to you know, cut a piece of wood in a straight line accurately. And, right. you know, and so they're trying to describe how it's going to happen or the mm -hmm. outcomes. Yeah. We don't need that. Those are going to be outcomes, right? So I like thinking of this as a uh, hierarchy of needs. Define the job up front, define the steps second, then define the actual metrics with the outcomes third. Nice. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah. Because that's how you. Yeah. That's mm. how you measure whether the task is complete or not. Because if you, if you cut a piece of wood and it's crooked, then you haven't fulfilled the, the something the went wrong. Job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, looking forward to your talk and good luck on stage. And thanks so much for sitting down with us. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. One of the biggest things I've learned about jobs to be done. Um, but before we interviewed Tony, and during and after we interviewed Tony, is that there's so many versions of it out there. I think I counted at least four yeah. things, concepts, theories, um, frameworks that are called jobs to be done. Yeah, it can be fr frustrating because if you Google jobs to be done theory, you actually end up on several different websites with, with different takes on it. And not and one of the challenges there is that if you're an inquisitive UXer mm. uh, or you know you want to learn more about this because you've heard so much about mm. it, um, then you Google it and the the the, the landscape for this concept or these mm. concepts is kind of a little bit infected. The, yeah. There there there's um there's denial going on. So one camp kind of denies that the other ones exist almost, mm. or they're kind of trying to push them away. So you, you, there's some of these are help articles. Mm. They don't explain that this is ver this is kind of like alternate two of yeah. jobs to be done, or this is alternate four. They go, this is the only one. Yeah. None of these exist. The others are fakes kind of mm. thing. I don't even mention them. So when you're reading it, I think it, it's challenging because you've got to work out which, you wouldn't know that these are ones exist. Mm. Then you've got to work out which of them it's talking about mm. before you can even start to take in the content, which might be good, I'm yeah. not. I mean, I'm not dissing any of the four, because yeah. or whatever it is, because I've only really know much now about Tony's. Exactly. Um, but it does make it difficult. Mm. And I quite like the way Tony describes it, and I see how it is appealing. I see how it how it works, and how people. You understand that if you frame needs in this way, and you have a specific description, a way to describe it, it helps people. It helps to gain consensus. Uh, I'm not sure that it's new per se. Maybe it's or unique. Maybe it's new uh, in certain contexts, like in marketing, uh, where you usually only talk about target groups, and then you research target groups by reading newspapers. But here you actually have to do the research and figure out. Like we have um, asking why five times in UX. That's an excellent example. Why are people doing this? You could apply that to the examples that Tony actually had. So why do you need pesticide? Why do you need this? And you could land to say in the same conclusion. But what Jobs to be Done here does uh, in Tony's version is that it allows you to uh, document it in a specific way that makes it, and that's what I liked about what he was saying, that makes it timeless as well. So if technology changes, the need stays the same. Mm. 
yeah, it might it mm. might kind of uh, change in importance. Yeah, if, if the needs. Oh yeah, there. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, but technology might enable it. Mm. But yeah, I mean, there are, we've mm. we've worked over the years. You've there's been several tools mm. or methods mm. that are similarish. Yeah, you know, without listing them all, but the you know, the, the kind of task dis- an- task analysis. You mm. you look at what tasks need to be done, yeah. and then you work out how. Um, the the user or the organization mm. are going to be satisfied that it's been done. Yeah, um, you know, I'm setting setting metrics, KPIs, mental models. By in the young, I'm thinking now where you're actually mapping out specific tasks along the mm. whole journey. Uh, s- very similar. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But I said this this sev- mm. this several yeah. things that mm. we still you got to look at the tasks, the jobs yeah. to be done. Um, so yeah, well that, that's that's nice. Mm. I can see how this is. Um, mm. I liked what Tony was saying about. Um, you know your related tasks, mm. and I can see how this is useful from a business point of view for for like land grabbing or increasing mm. your your product ownership, how much of a market share you mm. own. Because you start off with focusing on one thing, and then you see what related things they are, and seeing how you can um, cover more of those things yeah. with your product you've got. Mm. Exactly um, that. I can see how make, it makes product managers and owners right. Exactly, tingle. I like that, and he <laughs> explains it really well as mm. well. Uh, but that's the same thing. It's for me. It's about so if you care about people, and you do the research, these are the things you will find out. You will find out the real needs because that's what you were searching for as a researcher. Mm. Uh, it's when you do it too simplistically. That's that's what companies usually do, and that's what t- when Tony says companies know they're doing it wrong, and that's the same sort of challenges we ha- challenges we have in UX is that companies never give us the time or don't want to even spend time doing the research or doing field studies doing interviews mm-hmm. it takes a lot of time to actually come to the right conclusions uh, yeah and, and organizations mm-hmm. are kind of um built to take shortcuts yeah um you know there's, there's several you could argue there's several reasons why they're, they're they're built to take shortcuts i mean i think i've read recently the argument about um like quarterly results that you know the, the bad thing with quarterly results it it makes organizations focus on the next three months mm. which you know creates an incentive mechanism mm. to or a management mechanism to to push things to be done mm. in the short term mm. um even though uh, you know the best stuff comes yeah. from long-term thinking i was talking to a guy earlier today he was having a budget meeting next week so now he was trying to find stuff that he could budget for so that he actually would have a budget to yeah. do things because he had to make things up yeah, because he's forced <laughs> to make the budget now. Exactly. But he hasn't yeah. researched yeah. what the things are, or hasn't prioritized what's going to no, be done. No, and there could be many things that pop mm. up, and he wants to have that money when yeah. it comes. Mm. <laughs> so so if, if, if this this method, this mm. um, framework, um, helps people in organizations uh, where you are, you know, forced into the the mm. short term, but you can do you can do a, I mean, a, a bit of a deeper research that has a long shelf life. Yes, exactly can see the appeal yes and that's what good i mean that's why people like frameworks because it makes something tangible it's easier to look at it and understand it uh, and that's what this method does and many other methods do as well yeah right thank you for listening we love to hear from you as well so if twitter isn't your thing then uh, email us at hey at uxpodcast.com and you can use either the American hey with a Y or the Swedish hey with a J. We're that international. And if you want another episode to dive into straight away, then may I suggest episode 144, Anticipatory Design and Cross-Channel Ecosystems with Sarah Doody and Andrea Rismini. 
Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Who's there? Extraterrestrial. Extraterrestrial who? Wait, how many extraterrestrials do you know?